Welcome to the Gospel Gazing Podcast. My name is Wilson Van Hooser. I try to make this sound as epic of an intro as possible, as you can tell by the amazing banjo skills from my producer, Jonathan Hunt. Shout out. Uh, we got again on the podcast, Steven Spinnenweber hailing from Jacksonville, Florida. Steve, what's up? Steve Spin, Steven Spinnenweber, whatever we want to say. That's that's correct. I've been called both. Um, I'm just here. This is fun. They they can't see this. Uh, yeah, over the airwaves. But got to tell. We just got. It. We're just a couple guys here. I've got a Zen organic tea because coffee makes me jittery this time of the day. And you've got. I mean, you're like in the the tea. Oh yeah, like a we're, tea party, like a trade. You know, we're in it. Like we're basically ring. in Boston. Yep. So. Yeah, it's it's good um, to be back, uh, back on the pod, and I don't know our wives. It's not a race to see who goes first. I'm I'm almost certain that your wife is going to go before mine. Yeah, but yeah, we've got two little Presbyterian girls on the way, which is Amazing. super exciting. Children of the covenant. That's right. It's going to be fantastic. We will be both up late at night. Uh, Probably texting about how to solve the PCA's problems. Um, that and splitting the atom. That's true. That's true. That's true. All right, you got to tell us about that coffee mug, though, or excuse me, that that tea mug. Oh, so I have a problem. I think I yeah, it's a problem. So I collect, in addition to books on my bookshelf behind me, I have uh, a collection a veritable array of coffee mugs. So I have one with Dr. Joseph Piper's face on my mug modeled after the office when they yeah. have all of the mugs with their faces on them from Kelly Kapoor's uh, party. Yes. Yes. And this, this one is great. I have, it's just Dwight in his OPC mustard colored shirt, just <laughs> staring someone down. It just says in big white letters, false. Yes. So I, I deploy this mug during any of our group studies when somebody says something like slightly unconfessional, yeah. I just raise this to my lips so I don't I don't say anything. I love you know? it. Yeah. It's very well, subtle. It's it's never a real Bible study unless there's some heresy in there, you know? Um That's what they pay us for. That's know? what they pay we, us for. Yeah. We're we're here to here to steer people in the way eternal. Yeah. Now we got to get into this. You're 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 a second uh, episode on the pod. You're a returnee, so we got to get to know you more. So, very mm. very important question that everyone will judge you on. What are some of your favorite TV shows? The Office. I still have because I'm old enough to have purchased these. I still have the complete well almost complete yes you series do. of the office on dvd yes I, you do. it took me five to six years to actually watch the last season one because i was disappointed by robert california but also because i just didn't want it to end yeah. and so if i never <laughs> saw the finale it was still going on so that's how yes. i kind of held on yeah but my wife and i when we're together we are watching right now all creatures great and small on the BBC. So we are bibliophile okay. or uh, Anglophiles. You know we love BBC. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you ever? 
right? Have you ever seen the Great British Baking Show? Oh, dude. Hey, that's that is one of the few things in there for me and my wife. When it's a rainy day, overcast day, something like that, it's on. All right. This is a safe podcast. So I we love that show. Noel really grew on me out. Yes. You know, yes. As, vamp- as vampires do, they're a little bit off putting at first, but he <laughs> he's really endeared himself it to is all so of the funny. viewers. Yes. That's so true. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, we've even and I forget which season it was. We even got one one of the ladies who went really far, she came out with a cookbook and we Nadia. got it. And it's pretty good. It was actually a pretty good cookbook. So was it Nadia? Maybe. I was one of the, I mean it must have been like season four or five. I mean, pretty early. She went, I think, to like final four or something like that. Mm, I remember I Francis. Francis was a juggernaut. She was awesome. Uh I'd have to definitely go back and look deserved. at it. Yeah. I think it's called the book's called Crumble. I'll ask cool, my wife. Cool little book. Do you remember when Raul won? I was so disappointed. Yeah, but what season was that? I can't remember. Had at least three or four ago. We have not watched them all in order, so we're all so we're like, it's just in. It's like whatever order it is for us. So, yeah, we're 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 basically relativists. um, Taking context, time's just a number. It's fine. Yeah, that's true. Well, we got spin on the podcast, and we are talking today about an exhilarating topic. Uh, I say that a little tongue-in-cheek. Um, the regulative principle. And basically what that means is uh, why do we do corporate worship the way we do it? And actually, when we understand what the regulative principle is, it actually is hugely, hugely important. So it's not it's not – uh, something people just nerd out about. It really is one of the most practical things we stand for as Presbyterians. And when you say regulated principle, if I say the government has put in place regulations, we we have, I think, naturally a negative association whenever we hear the word, you're being regulated. Yes. You're being censored. You're being stifled and your creativity is being tamped down on. But as, as you said very well, the regulative principle, when somebody asks you and they come to your church and the worship maybe feels a bit outdated, it feels irrelevant, it feels antiquated, and they ask you, why does your church worship this way? Yep. You can tell them what we're about to tell you here on the podcast about the regulative principle of worship and how it does not stifle Mm-hmm, our mm-hmm. worship experience, but rather it enhances it and causes us yes. to worship the way that we were meant to. Yeah, that's good. Now, even take, taking a step back, um, when you travel across the country uh, and you can visit different PCA churches, you can see a lot of similarities uh, in uh, the worship uh, services, uh, even with some of the differences, you know, whether you're in Stillwater or Jacksonville, there's the similarities and the differences. But why why is it that PCA churches, why do they have similar worship? So in addition to our Westminster standards and our Book of Church Order, the PCA also has this thing called the Directory for Public Worship. And while we're kind of an oddball in the Presbyterian and Reformed world, in that the whole of our directory for public worship is not constitutionally binding. The directory for public worship does furnish us 
with lots of really helpful instruction on how to worship, yeah, what elements are, what circumstances are, how to best worship God. So you you ask the question, worship at Westminster Presbyterian Church will look similar to worship maybe in Jackson, Mississippi, where you went to seminary, or yeah. Greenville, South Carolina, where I went to seminary. And it goes just beyond this is what these institutions taught us. It, I think, yes. comes back to this fundamental principle that what's good for me is also what's good for thee. Yeah. And, Absolutely. you know, you, you go to a different state, you know, in our country, and it's you say, well, they have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, just like I do here. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's good for us. And so worshiping in spirit and truth, and we could talk about what that means in a little bit, but worshiping the way that God has outlined that we ought to be worshiping him in his word, the reason why our church's leadership worships the way we do is because we believe that this is biblical and it's best. And there are others who are persuaded that same way. So that kind of helps, I think, explain why worship might look the pretty consistent in the Reformed tradition, and even yeah. in areas where it does look slightly different, that those aren't essential or elemental differences. Those are really differences of of circumstance. So, at my church, we don't have a pipe organ. Some churches have pipe organs. Some churches have a person who can play the guitar. We don't right now, and these things aren't so essential that they either make or break worship. Yeah, but they good. are circumstances where we can say, hey, as long as they don't get in the way of the ultimate goal, which is to glorify God in the manner that he's deemed acceptable, we're free to do these things. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and just we've, we've already been talking about it, but for someone who this is very new to, what would be a a simple definition of what the regulative principle is? So I'll give a definition and yeah. then an illustration. Love it. So the regulative principle means that we can only do in corporate worship that which we find either commanded or positively exemplified in Scripture. Good. We can only do what is commanded or positively exemplified in Scripture. That's the regulative principle. And notice I said Scripture, that Scripture is the standard of regulation. We can yeah. only do yeah. that which we find in the Bible. There is another persuasion that you would find common among our friends, maybe in the Baptist tradition or especially in the Lutheran tradition, Anglican and others, where it's called the normative principle. And the normative principle, this is kind of a, a simple definition, but if it is not forbidden in Scripture, so they're going back to Scripture too, if it is not forbidden, it is permissible. You can mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. And the difference, and in the illustration, my buddy Jim McCarthy, he's a pastor in Statesboro, Georgia now, he uses the illustration to explain the difference between the regular principle and the normative principle. Mm -hmm. If I order a pizza and I say I want a pepperoni pizza, when the delivery man gets to my door, I'm expecting 
yeah. a pizza with only pepperonis on it. Yeah, yeah. That's regulative principle. Yes. The, the extent of what I desire is limited to what I have commanded. So yeah. what I want is what I said. The normative principle would say, okay, I've ordered a pepperoni pizza, but then the delivery man comes to the door and there's, there is pepperoni on there, but there's also anchovies and black olives and pineapple. Mm. I, yep. And, and then I push back and I say, hey, this is not what I ordered. And he would respond with, but you didn't say I couldn't put this stuff off you on. You, you didn't for, forbid me. Yeah. So that, I think, really helps us and it alleviates our consciences because mm. the regular principle, aside from just clearly communicating to us that God is not holding out on us, that his revelation is sufficient to tell us what he desires from us in worship, but we don't need to try and delve into the mind of God or into his secret will and figure out what he wants today because it's so radically different from what he wanted last week. Yeah. But it also is a great protection for Christian liberty mm. because I can't foist my personal preferences on you in a corporate worship setting because my tastes, my preferences are not the ultimate basis upon which we say, hey, this either stays or goes in our worship. Yeah. God's word alone and, and the Lord alone is the Lord of the conscience. And so this regulative principle is certainly acknowledging that God's ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts. Yeah. But it's also a great protection and keeps us from getting into the worship wars of your taste versus mine. Exactly. Because if that's if that's the case, who's right and who's wrong? Exactly. Yes. And it really does bring a lot of freedom. And we'll get into that question here in a little bit. Now, I'm tracking with you. This is making sense. Where do we see this in Scripture? Leviticus chapter 10 is home row for the regulative principle. Wait, wait, wait. Spin, you're telling me that even as New Testament Christians that we still apply the Old Testament? It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian Wilson. How Come on, dare man. you? Come on, man. Well, that's A.W. Yeah, yeah, Tozer. So, yeah. <laughs> so, te so tell us, tell us uh, I'm, I'm, I'm flipping there now. Tell us about Leviticus 10 and how that uh, informs us. Well, you're going to chapter and verse me if I get any of this wrong. So I trust oh, no, you. No, no, you're good. You're good. Hey, hey, this is this is the this is the gospel gazing podcast. We believe in grace. I'll allow it. Thank you. So Leviticus chapter ten, God has already commanded that this is the manner in which He is to be approached by the Levitical priesthood. Uh, Aaron and his sons are consecrated for service, but then his sons Hophni and Phineas, and this is what's really key. They offer what's called strange fire. Mm. And the strange fire is not a forbidden fire, but it is something that God did not command them to yeah, do. Yeah, that that's a good point. The kicker, right? So we would all understand if God smote them if they brought another golden calf in, like they mm -hmm. did in that's Exodus 32, right? Yep, yep. Exodus 32. 
Yeah, because that's clearly a violation. God forbids in the second commandment the worshiping of him through images, and even in the Old Testament, images that he did not appoint. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They did have an ark, they did have a tabernacle, but God's the one who regulated that and said, hey, this is how I want you to approach me. But Nadab and Abihu, they didn't even do anything that was explicitly forbidden. Very good they, point. They just did something that was not commanded. So, Wilson, I mean, is God just being really unnecessarily mm -hmm. severe? I mean, that's the God of the Old Testament, sort of the the vengeful and, and yeah, the yeah, yeah. God of wrath. But, you know, like you said earlier, we're, we're New Testament Christians, so it doesn't seem like this principle applies, right? I, mm. How have you explained to your people, okay, no, we're, we're not Levites, but the principle still applies? Uh, what yes. reason will we give people for the continuation of this regular principle? Well, I think really it's rooted in the being of God. Uh, Malachi 3, 6, you know, I, the Lord, do not change. So if he does not change, therefore, uh, his law, the moral law, uh, does not ever become unapplicable or irrelevant because the law is ultimately revealing him. And preeminently, what is worship about? Mm -hmm. Him. Worshiping him rightly. And uh, uh, oh, the I forget who wrote the book. I'm blanking on the name. Uh, but the, the guy who really coined the phrase, the medium is part of the message. Um, the guy who wrote the book about uh, technology. Um, man, the classic book. I can't believe I'm blanking on it. Um, but one thing, one reason why this is so important is because the way in which we worship God is teaching us about who he is. So, yeah, that's where we would say, because God doesn't change and because his ethics don't change, therefore the principles of worship don't change. It carries over. And then, you know, obviously as well, enter in everything with covenant theology and the continuity there. And um, so, yeah. God's no less holy. God's Correct. no less holy. Correct. And, 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 I'm actually working on a book right now where um, I'm talking about the three uses of the law and why the covenant people under the new covenant look different than the people in the old. It's not because there was a substantial difference either in the character or in the desires of God, but it's that Israel was reaching this age of maturity where, yeah, God judged Hophni and Phineas pretty severely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he doesn't need to do that now for the same reason that we don't need to uh, discipline our 16 or 17-year-old children in the same way that we do our three-year-old children. Yeah. So God is using, with this sacrificial system in the Old Covenant, it's like Israel's picture books, Yeah. using the picture books to teach them about his holiness, that he can only be approached through a mediator, and this yeah. is preparing them and growing them in anticipation of the only mediator between God and man, mm. which is our high priest, Jesus Christ. So yeah, it, it, it continues because God continues to be perfectly holy. Yeah. 
Well, and you, you don't see very many kids named Nadab, Abihu, or uh, uh, Hophni or Phineas. Uh, oh, I said Hophni and Phineas. Yeah, that's Samuel's well, well, sons. Well, um, it's actually interesting you made that connection because in some ways th- there is some parallel there of just the uh, of, of priests not fulfilling positively what they're meant to fulfill. Um, now, okay, l- let me let me kind of anticipate something that uh, we might ask. Man, the regulative principle, it sounds stiff. It sounds like there's no freedom, that worship is just going to be going through the rhythms. It's lifeless. How, how, how do we speak back to that? Obviously, speaking back in a pastoral way. Um. <laughs> we could certainly see how someone would say that, you know, again, the negative associations with the word regulative. Yeah. Why are you restrict? It's not the restrictive principle. Mm-hmm. So much as it is the protecting principle. Uh, when you're worshiping the way that you were made to, it is not at all a stifling experience. It is freeing. Yeah. You know, expecting a hammer to do the work of a screwdriver, <laughs> the, the hammer's not going to thrive. The yeah. hammer's going to be happy when the hammer's doing what the hammer was made to do. And that's so good. when we worship the way that God has designed us to worship, because that's the big kicker that I think we sometimes forget, that God made us for worship. Yeah. And if he made us for worship, well, what kind of worship did he make us for? Good. And where do we find out about this worship? We find out through his word and yeah. the means of grace and the means of grace do not lead us astray, but they lead us in a straight yeah. and narrow, and they show us that God is, this is amazing, though God is holy, like what we talked about in Leviticus chapter 10. Remember that God condescended to Israel and made it possible for them to approach him, which he didn't have to do. Yeah, yeah, good. There was a lot of red tape, admittedly, in the Old Covenant, and we've been freed. I was telling you about that this week. Uh, the good Samuel Bolton quote on yes, yeah. the True Bounds of Christian Freedom. He says, we've been freed from the manner of the law, but not from the matter of the law. So we've been freed from this yeah. slave to his master. I, I'll say this, the rigorous adherence to not the moral law, but to the whole law system under Moses. Mm-hmm. We've been freed from that which is profoundly gracious of God, but even even that, God was making it possible for us to approach him. So God's not hard to please. Mm. Mm. He's not hard to please. Yeah. If he was hard to please, he wouldn't have told us how to please him. But because he's told us, we need to fight against that temptation to build golden calves in our hearts. Calvin said that we're perpetual yeah. idol factories. But God is not left us threadbare. He's not left us with paltry means yeah. for living the Christian life. He's given us so much. So we just need to be content. Yeah. Yeah. Now I you know, I gotta ask this question. One of the running jokes in PCA reform circles is uh sometimes we get the Ricky Bobby syndrome and we don't know what to do with our hands. Are they in our pockets? Are they by our sides? Are they arms folded? 
you know, uh, or they may be rising up in the air. Uh, does that mean we just all have to, you know, I mean, what, you know, let, let, let's get even as practical and as pointed as that. Uh, you know, is, is that what we mean by when we think about the regulative principle, every little thing must be perfect? No, no. Uh, I, I, what do I do with my hands? I'm holding a hymnal usually, so it's great. Yeah. It gives me something to do. <laughs> Insert hymnal here. I, yeah. I joke with people. But we, yeah, at our church, we've got we've got some people. I know that you're a feedback preacher. We I'm got one guy. Preacher. Yeah. One guy would amen you real hard. Oh, uh, come on, man. My man, Nick. We need, we need to do a long-distance pulpit swap. Exactly. And, yeah, it's not... If regulative, if regulated worship is being done well, it should enhance joy. Yeah. yeah. And people will show joy in different ways. Yeah. Does your, okay, here's, yeah, does yeah. your church clap? We, yeah, we have sometimes. It's not, okay. it's, not it's not like our RUF would do it naturally after every song. Uh, okay. but, it, 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 it happens. They don't clap to the beat, though, right? Because, oh, I mean, oh, I've been in Presbyterian churches. No, oh. may, maybe sometimes we do, but uh, I think I think those of us who are less rhythmically skilled, we we uh, have very much of a fear of man uh, to clap. <laughs> I uh, That's probably good. I, I, <laughs> it's probably a good thing that we don't do that. I mean, so no. all this to say is that worship is, is not performative on the one hand, Correct, uh, correct. But nor is it a straight jacket on the other. So yeah. you'll see emotion. Our our congregation yes. they sing very heartily. Our and this was a design decision, but I think it was also informed by our desire to yeah. communicate to the congregation that they are the worshipers. Yes. That our, our pianist is in the back. Mm. And the the words of the people yeah are they kind of take center stage and and that's uh, once again i'm not but this is where we talk about circumstances it's yeah, not yeah. essential that Correct. your pianist be in the back it's also not even essential that you have instrumentation in worship you can worship without instruments yeah we would push back on those who say that you must not worship right. with instruments yeah but again we have that kind of freedom so if you're planting a church in Africa and yes. there's not there's no pipe organ, you can still have Christian worship. It's okay because yeah. what is front and center? What is it that we're called to do? We're called as God's people to sing his praise. This is what's really important because when we talk about the regulative principle, this is not some sort of Western uh, white... Uh, or whatever, you know, whatever's the modern, you know, accusations we throw on things today. Th this this happens across the ages, across the ethnicities, uh, across the cultures where though some of the, yeah, as you mentioned, so some of the circumstances uh, can be different, but you can go to Kenya or you could go to Columbia, or you could go to Columbus, Mississippi. And all three of those can be practicing the regulative principle. Because 
it better reflects, I think the regulative principle better reflects the universality of the gospel yeah. appeal, because this is what distinguishes us from the worship of the old covenant church mm. was that they had to come to Israel. They had to come to yes. the temple three times a year for the mandatory pilgrimage festivals. Uh, and, and we talked about this last time. I think it was chapter seven of the Westminster Confession in chapter 27, five on the New Testament sacraments, how though they're fewer in number, they are more accessible. They're yeah. simpler and so can be used by persons in various and diverse contexts. Yeah. So there's there's nothing, all you need to conduct Christian worship is a Bible to preach from. Yep. Uh, you need water for baptism. You need wine and bread. Yep. Derek Bright, uh, my buddy, he said that all you need is a wash and a word. Hey, like that, come on, man. He must be ministering in Alabama. Yeah, you, you 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 get a wash, you get a word, and you get a meal. Yeah, and yeah. That is not mm. paltry. That's not boring. That is merciful of God. Yeah, that's merciful. You don't need to be a big steeple churchgoer to yeah. worship God rightly. He has made himself approachable, and by very simple means that even our covenant children can use. And yeah. they can commune with Christ. Yeah. That's so kind of God. Well, and I think this is where we can remember that, you know, the, the history of our church, uh, like 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 many church plants, uh, you know, lots of church plants worships uh in school buildings, uh, or libraries, or um I, I there's even one who had uh they were they were in a bowling alley, you know. Um it you know. It's it is it is true in this sense. It, it is not the building itself that makes the church or that even makes worship. Although that doesn't mean we're just we're we're thoughtless about the way our building looks. Everything's with intention. But yeah, it's it is these elements that makes worship worship, regardless of where you are. Architecture can speak, but it can never yeah. speak more loudly than the word. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've been mentioning these two words, elements and circumstances. Can you tell us what those are and what the difference is between elements and circumstances? Elements are those parts of worship that make it worship. They're a part of the essence of worship. These are the building blocks versus the circumstances might be the paint color of yeah. the blocks. Yeah. Okay, so the elements would be singing the word, praying the word, preaching the word. I would say the confession, uh, confessing yep. our sins according to the commands of the word. Yep. Some churches will say, hey, the giving of tithes and offerings, there's language in the old covenant of bringing in the tithe. Yep. Uh, that's a, I think that's a legitimate form of worship. Confessing creeds and confessions. Yep. That's another one. We use the Belgian confession. The three forms of unity, the Westminster standards, we use them all in yep. on a rotating basis in our liturgy. So those are the elements that they really ought to be in your worship service, yeah. uh, if not every Sunday, periodically and regularly. So think of yeah. Lord's Supper, right? Some yep. churches will do Lord's Supper every Lord's Day, yep. but I think 
while that is an essential element, that is something that we ought to be doing in the corporate worship context, the circumstances can govern how often you do it. Yeah, correct. So that's a circumstantial consideration. So when we talk about the differences maybe between our churches, Mm -hmm. our elements are the same. We sing God's word, we pray, we preach, we administer sacraments. Those are those are our elements, yeah. but maybe the type of instrumentation that we use, that's governed yes. not according to strict precept, thou shall use guitar, piano, organ, whatever. That's governed by circumstances. Likewise, yeah. what yeah. time does your church start? Yeah. yeah. Oh, 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 you're literally at, yeah, 1030. Well, I mean, okay, 1030, right, yeah. But, so you yeah, get it. It's like, it's not thou shalt worship at everyone worships at 10 30 a.m central, central, time. central time yeah which is also not fair because you guys get 25 hours whereas yeah. we on the east coast only get 24 i've exactly. never i feel gypped by the way <laughs> but yeah there, there's nothing that says hey you need to worship at this exact time you need yeah. to worship in this exact place with these types of instruments these are governed we would say by common sanctified sense yep yep not a good job. It's not a good idea to have worship at 6.30 a.m. every Sunday because no one's going to be there because they're yeah. sleeping. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, how long should the sermon be or how long should the whole worship service be? Th- those are those are different, you know, per, per place you're in. And so um, – now, when we talk about the the elements of worship, you've already mentioned several of them, but yeah, what are more of these elements of worship? Even just kind of a quick jotting down. Yeah, preaching of the word is the crown jewel of the worship service. It's it's sort of the the zenith and the pinnacle of the mountain. Mm-hmm. That's where we hear from God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, through the instrument of the preacher. Uh, we we hear Jesus Christ bringing the gospel to us afresh, calling some to saving faith for the first time and building us up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation, those of us who know Christ already. So you've got to be preaching the word. Yeah. The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, um, those are elements. Yep. Uh, I would also say a call to worship is is a necessary element for the same reason why Israel could not approach God except on the basis that he had called them. So neither can we approach God right? without first having been called the benediction is an element of worship where God sends us forth with his blessing. What, what's your favorite benediction, by the way? Oh man. Uh, I, you know, actually I'll tell you my favorite benediction book is Derek Thomas's compilation of Dale Ralph Davis's, uh, benedictions. And, uh, how uh, he would tailor them according to the scripture text he was preaching. So I so, but man, I tr- I try to mix it up every week to get a whole array of uh, different benedictions. Uh, I forget what it. Well, I forget what it's called. I got it somewhere. Uh, but it is. A, oh, here it is. Grace be with you. Benedictions from Dale Ralph Davis. Uh, Sinclair wrote the afterward, and Derek wrote the Ford. And see, that's that's another, we'll say, I don't want to say it's, je- it, maybe it's form. So that's a difference of form. We yeah, have yeah. the same element. So let's talk about this. There's elements, forms, and circumstances. The form is the way in which an element is communicated. 
Yeah. So I do benedictions that are verbatim from scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Some people would say, you know, like if I have a biblical benediction at hand, I'm just going to stick with those. I realize that I can't yeah. diversify it infinitely, uh, but yeah, uh, infinitely, but I'm, I'm going to stick with those. And then there are others who would say, well, the element of a benediction is still there. I'm using the yeah. language and the words of scripture, whether it's for the benediction or the call to worship. And, the, but the form, the yeah. words are different. And that's where as dog, dogmatic and I mean, bullish as I am on the regulator principle. Yeah. It's not, we don't have like our Anglican friends, a book of common prayer where you, the expectation is these are the exact these are the words. words that, yeah. 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 Uniformity. I, mm -hmm. I I like unity, but that degree of uniformity, I feel like, could give way to a stiffness and a lifelessness, like the question you had asked earlier. Yeah. I think that it's more prone to become rote yep. if we don't allow for differences in form. So long yes. as the elements are there and and the form and the words that you're using are mm -hmm. clearly biblical. I, I'm not throwing a flag. Yeah. Right? It's it's kind of like in uh in in prayer, you know Matthew Henry's fantastic work, uh, a, a way to pray. Uh, he just he makes or a method for prayer. He mixes in so many different scripture verses for how to address God and and uh, and that actually because you're mixing in those words in your prayers, it seems so full of life. And so kind of similar to the benediction, it's, you know, the, uh, whether it's number six, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you. That, that is a awesome one. Um, Hebrews 13. Wait, which one? I'm a big Hebrews 13 guy. Yeah, That's probably I mine. I just did that one this favorite. past Sunday, actually. Um, and, or when it's that sermon text, that's, you know, the blessing of that truth upon you. Um, you know, yeah, I, 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 that's just such a huge thing. You know, I, I tell our people whenever uh, they receive the Lord's benediction, I say, hey, if you can't remember anything, when in doubt, leave here knowing that the Lord has blessed you. Um, he's blessed you through his word. Um, now circumstances uh or circumstances versus elements um what about let, let's get practical what about dancing people will use david as an example he danced before the ark of the covenant that was a parade that was a procession right. in so that was not a corporate worship context and like i said before corporate worship is not lifeless, but it is also not performative. Yes. And if you don't have to do that, and we don't have to do that, we don't have to dance to worship. Yeah. We, we shouldn't do that. Um, well, and, and he was, he was also, he was naked. So I hope that's not a, let, 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 <laughs> let's, let's not have that be an element. <laughs> Whether it's the outer garment or that man was just, you know, <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, whatever, uh, whatever the interpretation is. Yeah, but you you make the case. So you know, dancing in worship. This is also, I think, getting us maybe to 
yeah, I think we're going to deal with this at another point as well yeah. about worship being performative is yes. that it, it, we shouldn't have worship. The goal should be for us to fade into the background and for Jesus to be in the foreground of every single thing we do. Yeah. And yeah. even if the dance is ballet and it's a lot more tasteful, right. than some of the Pentecostal yeah. videos that yeah. you see on YouTube and yeah, uh, you know, what is it that makes that right, but the kind of more highbrow forms of dancing and you mm. know, liturgical dance, what makes those wrong? Is it just aesthetics? Is it just mm. that we kind of turn our nose up at Pentecostalism? And mm. No, I think we need to say, even if this is maybe a bit more highbrow, it's not what God commanded. So yeah, we, we can't go on the... I just don't prefer this because then Correct. whose preferences are going to win out. And that's when you get people getting sideways with church leadership. And yep. it's just safer if we just go back to the Bible and be like, all right, certainly God has not left us without instructions to perform the most important function of our lives. Like if this is why yes. we're still here is to worship and glorify him. And we do that most visibly, and I say powerfully in the corporate worship context, yep. it would be strange if God did not give us principles and yes. marching orders on, hey, this is how you do it. Well, and and whenever we make worship performative, it's exactly what you're, what you're saying. We ultimately make it about us. And man, how we love to find, our sinful flesh loves to find ways to bring in a little bit of us in there. And and it really is, uh, it is about absolutely being totally focused on God and who he is for us in the gospel of grace. Um, and it's also part of it too, is like, it's not just me worshiping. Yeah, it is we, and, um, it, it is not merely about how can I give self-expression to the worship, but how can I also help aid this group of people that we might simultaneously worship God? Um, and that's where we would want to helpfully, lovingly avoid distractions. Yeah. And and this kind of gets us back to, to the question of, it's, it's one we deal with often. Is worship evangelistic or is it covenantal? Because I think a lot of these questions can get boiled down to what is the primary reason for worship? Like, what are we, what are we driving at here? Yeah. And if your answer is worship is first and foremost evangelistic, then you're going to incorporate and you're going to tend toward those I'll say unbiblical elements, mm -hmm. but those elements that tend to grab other people's attention and that scratch whatever the itch of the day is that they have. Yeah. But if you see worship as primarily a covenantal exercise, then admittedly, what we're doing in a worship service is going to look very strange to a person who isn't a Christian. And, yeah, and that's okay. A couple of years ago, uh, I wrote an article for Ref 21 on reformed worship relevant or reverent yeah and what a lot of um so at our church right now it's pretty amazing we've got 
a convert from Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, he'll be my first adult baptized uh, oh, that's member. Awesome. Yeah, and we got another young man, teenager who just came over from Roman Catholicism. Yeah, and so this is actually, and I'm expecting more in this generation because what I think has happened as I you look at the survey sort of the worship practices of the last 20 years or 30 years or so the churches were really grasping for relevance they were mm-hmm. desperately grasping for relevance they they feared yeah uh, becoming irrelevant and so what they needed to do is they needed to incorporate things that people like yeah from outside the church bring it into the church and so you got to get them in the doors you have to make worship evangelistic but what has happened is that, especially among younger millennial and, and Gen Z, uh, yeah. amazingly, is that they're swinging the pendulum to the opposite end. So whereas they yeah. have a distaste for those that are hyper-relevant, uh-huh. they're gravitating towards hyper-reverence. Yeah. And it's the bells and smells, and uh-huh. it's yes. kind of the high church, high brow, yep. Anglo-Catholic you know, forms of worship. But if we were really worshiping the way that the Bible tells us to worship, it is both relevant and reverent Yeah, because true biblical reverence is forever relevant. relevant. It's unique. You can't fake it. It's, it's either what God commands or it isn't. And if it's what he commands, it's supernatural. Yeah. It's otherworldly. Yes. And that, that is, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like when people come into a home uh, of a chef and they eat that food and they say, whoa, this, I did not know so much flavor and combination could be packed in this. It can be the same. It could just be this. It could just be a burger. But um, when you just taste something that has been done well you say this is of a different quality and that's exactly what we're we are seeking for we're we're seeking for biblical quality because god uses that and people say okay this is what we're what we're after now this is not a this is not a drive-through burger you know this is yeah yeah this is gourmet and yeah and God knows how to whip up a good worship service, dude. Oh and man, I'm hungry. You had me a pizza, and now we're talking about burgers. I, this, you, I, I mean, you say you're in a chef's house with burgers. I and, did. Um, I did. Yeah. Well, you, I, you grabbed my attention. Yeah. Now, let's say, um, yeah, okay. Hypothetically, you and I do a long distance pulpit swap, which still should totally fun. happen one day. It should totally happen. I mean, we should make this a thing. Uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma, Jacksonville, Florida, um, we would notice similarities and differences. Um, how? But how would it keep us from saying, and we've kind of already alluded to this, but how would it keep us from saying, uh, oh, we need to be, you know, Westminster Presbyterian Church, Jacksonville, but the Stillwater, Oklahoma campus? Uh um, what 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 would keep us from a copy and paste philosophy of ministry? Yeah, because in the PCA we don't have a book of uh common prayer. We don't have this expectation that every church is going to look identical. Yes. We we have flexibility 
uh, to minister to different groups of people, yeah. not in an essentially or in an elementally different way, yes. but according to different circumstances. So, for example, you know, if you try to replicate your same forms of worship there in Stillwater, maybe in rural West Virginia, it yeah. may not translate. It may not be wise to yeah. just pick up yep. this specific way of ministry and doing it for this altogether different group of people. Now, I do want to say that I the more how do I say this, the more historic, the more historically rooted your worship is, mm-hmm. the better the portability. Right. Very the, true. Very true. The, the better the portability. So at least my goal at Westminster, I don't want to be doing anything in my worship service that somebody in Africa couldn't do in theirs. Amen. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But there will also, I think some of this maybe comes down to, do you wear a Geneva gown like yeah. I do when I preach? Yeah. Yep. Or do I wear sort of the collared See? shirt and yeah. business casual like you do there in Stillwater? Yeah. Yeah. That's, we... We don't have to be so dogmatic on those details. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if I was ministering to a congregation, the vast majority of whom maybe came out of Roman Catholicism, and they just said, hey, I, I, I'm all for revering the preaching of the word and recognizing the dignity of the ordained office, but I mean, it's just a real stumbling block to me. Like, it feels like yeah. I'm back in Rome. When, and I don't have to wear one. Yeah. Uh, so we ha- yeah. we have to hold those things more loosely. And so this is where we can with even within the PCA where there is a diversity of yeah. religious expression, sometimes it pushes the bounds, you know, yeah. we have the incorporation yep. of elements That's- that probably ought not to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if we agree on these basic elements, we can have healthy discussions about not right and wrong but better yes. and best. Yeah, or 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 wise and most wise. Is it wise to have six guitarists? Yeah. Probably exactly. not. Yeah. Stick with one. Okay, you know, do we need to sing these songs over here? Does this content, mm-hmm. right, is this content as good maybe as All Creatures of Our God and King? Like Saint 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 Francis of Assisi wrote over here in twelve twenty five. Yeah. So we we can yeah. have those discussions. Yeah. And um, when you, I would say that this is something that you and I have surely had to learn and will continue to learn, is that maybe you worship in a church where there are things that are happening that were you in charge you wouldn't do them the same exact way. Yeah. Yeah. The way that you address a difference at the level of circumstance or form has to be yeah. a bunch of notches yep. beneath the way that you would deal with it. If it's like, Hey, there's a bad element of worship here. There's a big glaring omission, you know, in Correct. our worship. So the temperature about, Hey, clerical dress or yep. instrumentation, yep. those discussions should not get nearly as hot as like, Hey, we, we're not baptizing people or, yeah, we're yeah. not doing the Lord's Supper the way that the Bible says. We're we're kind of getting into some, yes, um, yeah, practices that like it's sort of the Lord's Supper. Uh, I'm thinking of intention, for example. Correct. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I don't think we should be intincting because that's yeah. not what Jesus did. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate the fact that those brothers who observe that practice affirm that, yeah, this is an essential element of worship, but the form and the manner in which we do that, yep, we have biblical evidence that that's not what they did and we shouldn't either. Yep. 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 Well, and and I think what what this does actually the regulative principle keeps us. It, it does numerous things, but one of the things it it keeps us from saying, "Oh, let's just do everything that this church here did, and we're going to do it exactly here." Where frankly, it's like that's putting way too much trust in an individual church rather than seeking the Lord and uh, ministering to these people right here with. Uh, you know, the, 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 the biblical, you know, principles. The philosophy of ministry and sort of, the, I think, the multiplication of that language or the proliferation of that language, like, oh, well, this was so-and-so's philosophy of ministry. Yeah. And his yeah. church exploded. Like, they yeah. had tremendous exactly. numerical growth. They have multiple sites. They have church yep. planting networks now. So we need, we want that same success. And so we're going to apply that same formula Exactly. Yep. But the Holy Spirit is not bound to formulas. Yeah, correct. So instead of looking for that new secret sauce or that mm. philosophy of ministry that's going to put your church on the fast track to growth, which I think was very common in the last 10 to 20 years. Yeah. Um, Instead, we should say maybe our philosophy of ministry, maybe maybe we can be boring and just do great commission, preach through whole books of the Bible, yep, Lord's Supper baptism. And like the more you do that, yep, we find, wow, um, we talked about it last time. Like it's not like those magic weight loss diet pills, but I feel great when I get oh, regular man. sleep and eat yeah. and eat well and gourmet burgers and not. You know, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> though I do love a good McDonald's burger. Oh we man. About that though. I, I feel like I need to watch my drive home. There, there, there's some, some dangerous fast food places on the way home. I gotta be, I gotta be careful. Uh, yeah. but yeah, exactly. I, I, I think this really is, it, it protects us. It, it educates us. It disciples us. It evangelizes the lost. It, uh, I, it's just so many things. It really, it is so incredibly practical. Um, I, th I think, as you mentioned, how yeah, it it grows us. Um, the way in which we go about worship, in other words, we're we're not merely we talk about this in preaching. We don't merely preach the message of the Bible, but we do our best to preach the mood of the Bible. Uh, the the. There's a reason why we sing. There's something about singing, whether it's joyful songs or somber songs. Uh, it's not merely what we're singing, but how we're doing it. That is yeah. teaching us about who God is. We don't only do private, silent prayers. We also have someone who goes up in front of the congregation who's going to lead the congregation, uh, which is typically the, you know, the office of elder is going to lead the congregation in prayer. All those things are teaching to us. Oh, I mean, even think about this. Why is preaching the central part of the worship service as one person gets up there and delivers God's word to us who are, in a way, passively listening? Well, it is picturing God's grace. Yeah. He 
the soul party initiates with us. It, it, all of these things are preaching the gospel to us. Yeah. The singing as an element of worship is instructive. And this is uh, something I'm thinking about right now. Is singing instructive or expressive? Yes. Yes, <laughs> it is. So I look at Colossians 3.16. Let yeah. Listen to this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you re richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs mm. with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So what I think is that if you approach singing as only expressive, yes. the results will vary. Correct. Right? Um, there, we could just go down the list of Yep. Very well-meaning people, very well-meaning people who the songs are overwhelmingly saturated with first-person personal pronouns. I, yeah. me, yep. what I like about, I love a good party, corporate, we. Amen. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing, you know, the yeah. corporate worship. So singing is certainly expressive, and yep. that's why we don't just sing happy songs. We sing psalms of lament. We sing yeah. psalms and songs of confession and joy. And yeah. I mean, we sing imprecatory psalms from time to time when we Indeed. get in the Psalter. Yeah. So yeah. Um, singing ought to be instructive. And what's the best instruction going? It's God's word. So the more, the more that you're singing sounds like a psalm or it sounds like a passage from the Bible, the better. Yeah. Yes. It should be saturated with the word of God. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And one of the ways that you do that is through singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And if they don't bring you back to the word, it's not a good song. Just like preaching. Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to hear me and Wilson no. just blow hot air and no. give you our thoughts or our hot takes for 30 to 40 minutes. You want to hear the word of God. Yes. Yeah, and you want to hear exactly. the word of God in your singing as well. Now, big thing, we live in a very technological age. And and while there, there are many blessings to that, for sure, we're, we're not uh, uh, anti-tech. Uh, but there are things we, uh, while in other ways in our businesses or at home, we can make readily use of with our technology, what are maybe some things we need to be cautious about in our technological age to make sure we keep the regulative principle? And even in particular, just remember, we are primarily an audible people more so than visual. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I am pretty minimalistic when it mm -hmm. comes to visual aids and the scripture yeah uh, or in, in a worship service so the only visual aids that jesus gave us were the lord's supper and baptism mm. and i'm just going to couch all this this is some of my personal convictions yeah yeah um, i know and i've been to churches where they use powerpoint presentations during preaching um for my part i think that the medium gets lost when it yeah. becomes an audio visual experience it's it's an audible experience. And yes. so Peter, 
Paul weren't using visual images. The prophets did in some exceptional circumstances like Ezekiel yeah, um, yeah, and others. Yeah. And, but the ordinary way in which the church grew in the New Testament era was through preaching. Yes. So inserting videos, mm. um, even, a, even a PowerPoint presentation with my points. And I, and I know brothers yeah. can disagree yeah. with me on this. And here, we can be flexible on this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, True. But I think it preaching is not presenting. That's very important. And if we use presentational technology, it kind of shifts the medium ever so slightly. Um, It kind of shifts the organ, as it were. It does. It does. And so we here at Westminster, you know, we'll, we have a hymnal in hand. We use it for all of our creeds and our confessions and, and stuff like that. I do know that some churches are moving. And again, this is my recommendation. They're moving towards putting their bulletin on smartphones. What if, say, somebody who's homeless comes and worships with your congregation? They don't have access to a smartphone. Yeah. Or a low-income family where they just say, yeah. hey, we, we don't have smartphones. We do dumb phones. Also, yep. Yep. even if you're not low-income, yeah. We have people that are trying to exercise digital minimalism. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is a very big thing today. Right. I don't want to be on my smartphone. I'm on my smartphone constantly. I'm actually trying to cut back Mm -hmm. on that. So can I please have a paper bulletin or can I please have so words printed up on the screen? I think that that if you're a small church and you're not springing for hymnals, I have no problem with words on the screen. Right. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah, we get so screen heavy. It it does affect. Yeah, it does affect the way we learn. I I, I remember um, that was one that that that's just I heard that a lot in youth ministry and in RUF. The 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 uh, people wanted more on the screens, and I'd say, well, no, th- this is actually there's a reason why we we get uh, less and less on the screen because there is something about the hearing. And thinking of the word and uh, that that really is an important thing. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, it's just often the with, with so many new things are being invented and made today. And so we can so quickly implement these things without thinking about what we're doing. The unintended consequences. Do the benefits yeah. really outweigh the potential drawbacks? Yeah. And yeah. I find detox may not be the right word mm. but i mean i'm inundated and saturated with information yes. and technology like for the same reason that i don't like hearing politics on the lord's day yeah 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 because i mean i can flip on a news screen and the talking yeah. heads can tell me about politics all the time but i come to church for relief amen and yeah i i also want relief from the busyness and the buzz and the humdrum of the world I just yes. kind of want to not power down, but just as few distractions as I can have. Yeah. Because I know my propensity to wander and, you know, get distracted. Every little buzz, vibrate, ding, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I even try to encourage people when you're, I, I often tell people, uh, keep your Bibles open because who cares what I have to say? It only matters if it's according to God's word. But for the sake, there's a lot of things that just the way we learn, 
I would much rather people not yeah. be on their phone Bible because often that's where we're getting notifications or tempted to just like, let me glance over to this other tab. You know, let's open up the word and let, let's be so immersed there. Yeah. 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 A lot of our attention span. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't want to be that guy who just laments on how nobody has attention span anymore. They say that on average, I think I was listening to a podcast recently. They said that on average, you reach for your phone every four minutes. Yeah. That's scary. And people will find this hard. They will yeah. admittedly find it hard. Um, yeah. But like anything, like training a muscle, yeah, with yeah. regular practice, you will focus and yeah. and you'll find this is freeing. This mm -hmm. this is not bald. This is not, um, you know, depriving me yeah. of what's best. Yeah. This is freeing me to do what's best. Yeah. So yeah, have your Bible open. Bring your Bible. It's a lost art, but man. Yeah, Like there's nothing quite like, I don't know how many of your people prefer. I don't know many people that prefer to read even on a Kindle, which looks like paper, uh, but yeah. they prefer physical books. So yep. I think there's a virtue to mm -hmm. having God's word in your hand uh, without all the other noise. Uh, yeah. That, and I think, I think that's, <laughs> once again, we're, we're seeing how a part three with Spin and Weber can come up. Uh, I think this is a, it's a big thing. Uh yeah, and we we just want to make sure we're we're intentional and doing all we can to set people up where they are beholding God, and that's that man. That's what it is. That's what worship is. So we'll spend any last uh, thoughts, comments, or anything you got. No, I'm I'm really encouraged. I'm so thankful that I I'm thankful that I was the guy who got the regular principle. Yes. Um, uh, question. I don't know if I've ever even told your people kind of like my background, but I grew up in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which yeah. was pretty liturgical, right? Clerical vestments. Um, yep. I would say it's as close to being Presbyterian as you can get in terms of its yep. forms and its order of service and stuff like that. And then I was in Southern Baptist Church for my teenage years, and those folks loved me very well. They had yeah, a heart for the Lord. Yeah. I'm thankful for them. But when I came to a Reformed church for the first time, and that's where I met my wife, we're high school sweethearts, 16, 17, uh, and started going to her church. Mm -hmm. And it didn't blow me away, but it made me hungry for more. Yes, that is a big, big point. It may, I heard expository preaching. For the first time, it was not topical. I'd never heard the Old Testament preached on before until I yeah. came to a Reformed church. And so because that's the content that they won me with, that's also what they kept me with. Yes. And they're what I think you'll find, right? Because you, you were a, an RUF campus minister not too mm -hmm. long ago, mm -hmm. is that sometimes young people, because we're, we're both still young, but young people will try to find churches that replicate the experience of their youth group or their college group. Exactly. The the one author calls it the juvenilization of modern churches. Resby from Presbycast, he says, everything is youth group. <laughs> right? and it's, oh, oh, hey, look, as a former youth guy, I would, I'd, I'd agree with that. 
And, and so what I've found, and I'm so thankful that you were in RUF because I know that your students have been prepared for mm-hmm. life in the church. And I think that RUF philosophically, they are very clear to say that they are not the church, but they yeah. are to bring people to the church. And so if you're a young person listening, my encouragement would be find a church where the preacher is committed to textual yes. expository preaching, preaching through whole books of the Bible. Yep. Right. It's it's harder for him, but it's good for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you want a man like that who's willing to do the hard things for your sake. Mm. Um, find a church and go, even if it is not what you maybe kind of feel you need. Yep. Give your feelings a month. Don't visit a church one time because somebody might be sick. The preacher might have had a bad sermon. Oh, yeah. Nobody said hi to me in the pews. You know what? Maybe their visitor-seeking missiles weren't there that Sunday. You know, like those super extroverted people. Um, Go to a church for at least a month. And especially if it feels different from your church background, don't immediately dismiss them and say, well, this is kind of the cold and the sterile and the stiff, lifeless worship like we talked about. But instead, ask yourself, why would they worship this way? Um, Yep. Are they trying to glorify God? Um, Are they just being different for differences sake? Like, are they priding themselves in this? I mean, there are people who can do that, right? Um, But I would be willing to reckon that if you went to a church like mine or a church like Wilson's and it feels a little awkward, give it time. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Talk to the pastor. Ask him why they do what they do. And if he has good reasons, I, I'd say reasons that are somewhat akin to what we've talked about today, Yeah, commit to that place. It, it won't feel like RUF large group. It won't feel like youth group. And that's okay. It's yeah, yeah, It's good because we're coming of age. Um and the church is not just ministering to us in this one phase of life, but it's going to grow us and prepare us to live lives of obedience in every age and stage. Yeah, very true. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it there where um, it really is so important for our growth. It it forms us, um, and that's, that's what it's intended for. So, Spin, great friend of the pod. It's good to have you on, man. We'll do, it we'll is do, good to it's good to be your friend. Yeah. Well, oh, dude, it's good to be a friend. We we we'll be up to no good. You know what we need to do? I just thought of us. I'm looking at my general assembly papers. We need to figure out a way to do a live episode with a whole motley crew of uh of our guys. So we wouldn't get anything done, but oh you know, my word. I think we need to do it. I think we'll be good. Yeah. So Man, well, thank you for being on the Gospel Gazing Podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll have you on again. I look forward to it, man. Thanks so much again for having me.